I remember scrolling through a social media feed in July or August or so and seeing abruptly a video of a woman on the New York subway. She's wearing a mask, sitting in one of those hard blue seats, looking down at her phone, unaware she's being recorded. Then the video zooms in on her arms and then her legs. And on her skin, you could see a few small bumps the size of a pea. Monkeypox, the video's creator asks. If you remember this period of time, just a few months ago, you remembered the very sudden surge in concern about monkeypox, a disease that was not new, but was mostly new to this country, and, on one, and one that left painful, contagious sores all over a person's body, requiring them to stay home for weeks to recuperate in isolation. It was a time of fear and paranoia, and maybe that context explains in part why this woman, Lily Simon, was filmed on the train, accused in no subtle terms of walking through the public sphere, obliviously and recklessly shedding her virus on the innocent people around her. The video of Lily Simon was viewed hundreds of thousands of times before her friends sent it to her, and she was able to respond with her own video, explaining that the bumps on her skin are caused by neurofibromatosis, a condition she's had since birth, and one that causes the growth of small tumors at nerve endings. It's not contagious, and it's not monkeypox, but knowledge of these details was not important to the person who posted the video because it wasn't about health and it wasn't about safety. It was about weaponizing our collective fear and paranoia to alienate a stranger. And ultimately, it was about stigma. As a UNC student, I often turn first to my own university community for knowledge and wisdom about the complicated world in which we live. Esteemed UNC professor and New York Times columnist, Tressie McMillan Cottom, helpfully distinguishes two similar looking but starkly different concepts in a recent New York Times article titled, What's Shame Got to Do With It? In the article, Macmillan Cottom suggests that we think differently about shame and stigma and what sets those ideas apart from each other. We talk a lot about shame and much less about stigma. Pundits and commentators fret about mobs who, hearing an opinion they don't agree with, mobilize metaphorical pitchforks in hand, ready to cast the villager out of the online village. The same politician or celebrity or public figure that we don't like can be called both shameful and shameless. Having too much shame or not having enough are both condemnations.
But shame, Macmillan Cottom argues, is not what we think it is. It can be good or bad. Shame can make us feel badly about ourselves and our actions, but on the other hand, tells us to keep our pants on in public. Shame is the result of a transgression of social norms. It tells us what's expected of us, and it tells us what's not. And then there's stigma. Stigma is a different beast altogether. Stigma, Macmillan Cottom writes, sorts and stratifies people, assigning them to categories against their will. Then we assign different amounts of moral worth to those categories and treat their members accordingly. While shame is the way someone might feel, stigma is the way we treat them. And so while shame may not feel nice, it can be caused by just about anything. Stigma, on the other hand, always has one specific goal, othering, alienating, and casting aside. So with this understanding, it's stigma and not shame, shame that's worth our collective attention. Today's selection from the Gospel of Luke has a lot to do with stigma. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus encounters 10 lepers. In biblical writing, leprosy can stand in for a large variety of diseases, usually the type you can see, maybe even from afar. Easy to spot, easy to sort. And sorting is just what they did in the biblical era. The force of fear pushed lepers apart from the crowd, relegating them outside the city walls. And the stigmatization of leprosy didn't disappear between the time of the Bible's writing and the present day. Indeed, it's no coincidence that when she was a child, bullies called Lily Simon, the woman on the train, a leper on account of the blemishes on her skin. And so when Jesus sees this group of lepers and the lepers see Jesus, they're sure to stand away from him. So accustomed they are to being told to stay back, out of sight, entirely unwelcome. And then Jesus tells them to go see the priests who could deem them pure or impure. And as they're on their way, they are healed, free suddenly from the illness which affected their bodies and their place in the world, free ostensibly from stigma by the grace of God. But the lesson doesn't stop there. No, because one of the ex-lepers turns back around. He lies down at Jesus' feet and thanks him for relieving him of his disease. And then we find out that this one, the one who turned back, is a Samaritan, another stigmatized identity in the world of the New Testament. Indeed, Jesus emphasizes the Samaritan's otherness by calling him a foreigner, as he asks why only he, and not the other nine, bothered to turn around and thank God for their good fortune. Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? 
He asks, Jesus seems angry in this passage, indignant that the nine continued on their way, leaving God unthanked for their healing, and we might fill in the gaps ourselves. Aren't they ashamed of themselves, that even a foreigner in this land, someone even more stigmatized than they, found the time to acknowledge his blessing? And that's where shame comes back around. We've heard from Macmillan Cottom that shame isn't always a bad thing. It tells us to keep our pants on in public, and it tells us what's expected of us. In this case, what's expected is gratitude. It's expected to hold onto your blessings and thank those who have blessed you. To neglect this duty is, perhaps, shameful. Then Jesus looks down at the Samaritan prostrated at his feet and tells him simply, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Faith and gratitude are concepts with close conceptual ties. One has faith that the divine will prevail, and when it does, one recognizes the victory and attributes it accordingly. The nine may have prevailed against their disease, but without turning back around to thank the one who cured them, we're left uncertain as to whether their cure was anything more than physical. The divine prevailed, but the victory went unnoticed. The Samaritan, though, the one, stigmatized as he was by his disease and his ethnicity, prevailed against both stigmas. While man-made hierarchies are random, unearned, unfair, the hierarchies of the divine are built upon two sturdy and simple pillars of faith and gratitude. The Samaritan's cure was physical, but it was more than that, too. For the knowledge that holding faith and expressing it as gratitude is enough to make the cruel, arbitrary stigmas with which many of us live and against which many of us push entirely meaningless at the end of the day is transformational. What a blessing it is that in a world so defined by stigma, a Samaritan or a leper, a social outcast, or even you can gain access to the kingdom of heaven through faith and gratitude. We may assign moral currency to physical appearance or sexuality, illness or cultural origin, but when it stands next to faith and gratitude, that currency we know is worthless. So as we seek to build a world that snaps the ties of the hierarchies that cast away and push aside May we remember that God doesn't stigmatize. With faith and gratitude, the cure is available to all. Amen. The Chapel of the Cross is an Episcopal church in the heart of Chapel Hill and the university community. Find out more at thechapelofthecross.org. There you can find our latest news and events. Connect with our pastoral care team, Faith in Action Ministries, and offer a prayer request. 
You can also find us on social media, on Instagram at The Chapel of the Cross, and on Facebook and Twitter at C-O-T-C, Chapel Hill. May you be nourished by the Word to serve in the world.